0: Log Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around
1: welcome to another fascinating recreation of history for nightlight um we have mark dewidziak returning tonight uh he's uh, been a guest uh, uh, three or four times uh you know we've covered his diverse writings on pop culture like uh, Shack the Night Stalker, uh, this, uh, everything I needed to know I learned in the Twilight Zone, uh, Shawshank Redemption, the uh, 25th anniversary uh, book. Um, and he has a new book that just came out and it covers all the mysteries surrounding Edgar Allan Poe's Untimely Death. It is entitled A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And it's available on Amazon and other fine bookstores. Uh, You can learn more about Mark by going to his website, markdewidziak.com. That is D-A-W-I-D-Z-I-A-K. Um. So you know, let's just bring on uh, Mark now. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, Mark. How you been doing? Oh, I I am fine. I am so glad you're here. I really enjoyed your book. Well, I've enjoyed all your books. Thank you. <laughs> and, okay, so. Um. Let's see. You know, I'm surrounded by. Let's see. I, I have about. Uh, half a dozen pages front and back of notes Uh, maybe that will we could extend this into about four shows and I'm surrounded by uh, several other books and it's about uh, ready to cause my desk to collapse but I was trying to do a lot of prep for this show Um, but um, you know we y ha- you know some of our friends have been guests like Mark Olshaker, and you know we'll, we'll be talking about him and you know John and his partner John Douglas and the profiling and Dan Hour and uh, Dan's uh, I think coming up in I think it's June uh, for his new book American Demon, mm-hmm. um, and I've had him on a show uh, like previous incarnation of this show, um uh, oh gee, f- over five years ago. Uh, he he's uh fantastic he, um uh, yeah, uh, Dan's a Dan's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh fantastic he's author great, great. and s- speaker. Yeah. Um Chris Sempner's been a guest a few times with me and uh you know we've covered the Poe mm-hmm. Shrine. So uh plus other uh notes and you know uh things I have pulled up on my computer so you know, if the floor doesn't uh collapse on well, I me mean, you know the computer may blow up but uh there is no shortage of Poe information. But um well since you you know in in your book you you, know, you do mention uh Poe's influence on you know the Sgt. Pepper album uh Spongebob, South Park, uh so you know, I wanna make you know kind of another uh related pop culture illusion. Uh in Throw Mama from the train and you know, a college professor, Billy Crystal, uh collects his night classes, short stories, and he has a meltdown over Danny DeVito's story and you know, he's uh, telling them you can't have a two-page murder mystery with one character dead on the first page. Uh, this isn't a whodunit. And, and he's like, why do I get these people signing up for my class? Uh, so, And you start off your book where we know the main guy's dead in the first sentence, but since you're A college professor and a really smart guy. Kind of have a feeling that you're exploring a whole lot more of the story uh, than what meets the eye. So uh, you turn a book uh, into you, you know the in the beginning you know the outcome but you make it almost like Poe wrote this you know what what you wrote uh it's in his style of it's it really um you know crafty um oh what, what what the right word is you know it's uh, masterfully created with all the flashbacks and introducing all these characters it, it, it's really a fascinating story even though uh we know the ending
2: but- well yes but you know that's the, that's the fascinating thing about Poe is most biographies start where most lives start they start with somebody's birth that's the yep. logical place to start any biography Poe's biography somewhat inevitably starts with his death because it's one of the most fascinating things about him. It's one of the most uh, enduring things about his legend, and it's also so reflective of of, of how he uh, of what he did. Uh, Poe pulls off one of the great literary stage exits of all time by dying in a manner which reflects his two greatest literary accomplishments. He dies under horrific circumstances, which would not be out of place in one of his own horror stories. And he leaves us with a mystery. He leaves us, in fact, with a double-barreled mystery of not only how he died, what he died of, but also the missing days between when he leaves Richmond and then when he is discovered uh, delirious on the streets of Baltimore a few days later. And nobody knows for certain the answer to either of those questions. So Poe dies in, a, in, in, in not just this, this incredible uh, moment shrouded in mystery, but in a way that actually reflects his own writing. Well,
0: uh-huh.
2: you know, that's just amazing. I mean, you I, you <laughs> couldn't have planned it any better. You know, a right. publicity guy had come to him and said, let's have you die at 40. Uh, in a manner which is going to 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 be uh, to echo your 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 greatest writing. You just how can you even begin to think about how you pull that off? There are three great literary stage exits in history. The first is Moliere. Moliere was not just a playwright but an actor. He was dying of tuberculosis. He makes it through the performance of one of his own plays. He's dying of tuberculosis. He collapses midway through the play. They revive him into wings. He comes back. He finishes the play and he goes home and he dies. Well, that's pretty good for an actor. That is a pretty good stage for an actor. <laughs> and right. then you have, you know, Mark Twain, who correctly predicts that he will die when Halley's Comet comes back. He was born with Halley's Comet in the night sky in eighteen thirty-five, and he predicts he will die when Halley's Comet returns in nineteen ten. And he pulls that off. Those are two pretty good stage exits, but in some ways Poe beats them all (laughs) because he dies in this way that has kept us talking about him. So the book starts – at the moment, most biographies end. This reverses, and Uh it's one of the things that makes biographies inherently depressing. We know how it's going to end. If If you're covering a full life with a biography, we know that in the end the subject has got to die. So there's something inherently depressing about most biographies. But with Poe, if you start with the death, and ultimately you build to the point of saying, this is not going to trap him. In fact, this is going to liberate him. Poe has a line in um, The Pit and the Pendulum, where the narrator of The Pit and the Pendulum says, no, not even in the grave, not even in the grave is all lost. And Poe is sort of saying that to us over the centuries. He's going to escape the grave and become the most alive American writer of the 21st century. And it's not even close. He's the most read American writer, not just in this country, but around the world. He's enormously popular. In Europe, in Asia, all all over the world, and Pose has the last laugh. He escapes the grave. He escapes the attempts to bury him under myths and mystery and mythology and misinformation. He escapes all of the attempts to bury him physically and bury him in in, in, a, in a more uh, allegorical sense. And he 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 escapes all of that and emerges. As this amazingly alive presence, so in a way, it's the reverse, and it's not as depressing, but everybody thinks of Poe as a depressing person, but his life and, and his literary accomplishment. he's going to outlive all the persons the people who were supposed to outshine him and outlive him. Where are they today where 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 are the Emersons? Where are the Longfellows? Where are all the American geniuses that were going to – would the average American even recognize these people? Would they be able to pick them out of a police lineup? You all know what Poe looks like. You know – if I say Edgar Allan Poe, you've got an image of what he looks like. And there's only two writers, two American writers that that's true of. And they're both 19th century giants, Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe black and white. We always think of Poe dressed in black, and you always think of Twain dressed in white. And they specialized, the the things that have kept them alive for a long time is for Twain, it was humor, and for for Poe, it was horror. And humor and horror are twins. They are the flip side of the same coin. They are the metaphoric writing that we use to address painful subjects, subjects we don't like to think about. These two areas give us metaphoric uses for wrapping our mind around those things, big subjects, big towering subjects. So Poe is interesting. It, it, you said earlier that um, you said you know that I'm a college professor, and I I wince a little bit at that because I'm not really. I'm not, I'm not a, a doctor or, or, or a full-fledged professor. <laughs> I have taught adjunct courses. Um, so I play it being a professor. I'm, you know, I, I, I play one on television, but I'm not really <laughs> a, a, a professor. And, you know, it's like when people say that you're an actor, because, and I do act and I have acted for, you know, for, for, for many years, but I, I shrivel a little bit about that because I'm, there are many fine actors and it's, it's tough to say, you know, but I'm a writer. I mean, first and last, I'm a writer. And this book is about a writer. This book is about uh, the true writer, the true person who wrote those stories. And that's one of the greatest mysteries of it. Even more, the the, the the greater mystery is not how Edgar Allan Poe died. The greater mystery is how he lived. Because we have this amazing, terrible, awful misconception about Poe. And it has been drummed into us and it has been marketed. That's the Poe that's marketed. We recognize him. Same's a double-edged sword for Poe. On the one hand, A small little group of stories have kept his reputation alive, but they have also created this almost funhouse mirror reflection of Poe. He's the grandfather of Goth. He's the guy up in the attic, huddled over the manuscript, cobwebs all around him, a raven perched on his shoulder, a quill pen in his hand, a bottle of cognac at reach, and a red-eyed black cat prowling through the attic, as he spins these these fever dream stories, probably on drugs or alcohol. And none of that's true. Not a, any part of that is true. That's not Edgar Allan Poe was. That's the myth we've created. And we've created this kind of grandfather of goth image for him. And we market that. And, you know, is that a part of who Poe was? Of course it was. Was he drawn to that kind of material? He, absolutely, not only was he drawn to it, he was better at it than anybody else. He, 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 as Ray Bradbury once said, to me, Edgar Allan Poe took the horror story and he made literature out of it. That's exactly what he did. I, I could That's that's about, and, and Ray Bradbury was a pretty smart guy. So that's exactly what Poe did. So and and then in his spare time, he creates the mystery story, the modern mystery story, the detective story. Um, at, at the same time, uh, I, you know, when I started writing this book and people learned that I was writing this book, one of the first things they would say to me was, oh, I love Edgar Allan Poe. I've read everything he's written. And as soon as they said that, and I wouldn't say it out loud because that would be churlish to do that. But every time they said, oh, I've read everything he's written, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, really? You've read all 17 volumes? And if you did say that out loud, they'd they'd, they'd look wide-eyed at you. Like, what are you talking about? I've got this collection that says the complete tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, that's just a small fraction of what he wrote. He was also a humorist. He wrote as much humor as he wrote horror. And nobody thinks of Edgar Allan Poe as a comedy writer, now do they? But nope. he had a great sense of humor. He was very witty, very funny, could be very charming and very genial. And he wrote as much humor. We just don't read the humor today. We read, we read the, the scary stories. That's what made his reputation. And in his lifetime, Poe was not even best known as a short story writer, a fiction writer. He was best known as a critic in his lifetime. He, he was known as a very harsh, exacting critic of American literature because he believed that American literature would never grow up, would never escape the long shadow of Europe until it, 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 it broke free of those bonds and created its own literature. So he had very high standards for his own country's literature, and he was so harsh in his criticism that he was known as the Tomahawk Man, but he was a great critic. He was, and this is lost by people, is that this is completely lost to most people, that not only was he best known as a critic, he was really good at it. His judgments hold up today because the, the, the literature he condemned has been wiped away. You would, have, would never have even heard of it. And the stuff that he championed, he, he recognized the genius of Nathaniel Hawthorne. His his judgments were, 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 were pretty sound and pretty correct. So in Poe's lifetime, he was known best as a critic, secondarily as a poet, and third as the author of short stories, horror and mystery. Our century has reversed that. We know him first as a short story writer, second as a poet, and third, if you know it at all, as a critic. So we have this completely skewed view of Poe. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. I wanted to somewhat rescue Poe's reputation because the myth suggests that Poe wrote these stories out of some kind of madness and obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sells him short as an artist. He was, a, he was not that guy. He was a very exacting artist. He revised his work constantly. He was very careful. He was the first American writer who tried to make his living completely on his literary efforts as a writer and an editor. Not that he was tremendously successful at that, but most writers of that time had other jobs. The most, even Washington Irving had to take uh, government jobs, government, he was an ambassador,
1: Melville uh, did that, too.
2: Melville did, too. And,
1: and, and Hawthorne.
2: Others, Hawthorne uh, Longfellow had a teaching job. They, they, they worked at universities. They worked in government positions. They worked in the local parishes. They all had other jobs. Poe was the first to bravely try to make it through his own talents at a time when there was no copyright laws and people could reprint what you wrote and not pay you for it. So he made very, very little money, shamefully little money off of what he wrote. Um, But he never stopped trying. And in all this time, you know, and I think that there's a feeling that like, you know, Poe, another myth about Poe was that he was perpetually drunk. And the truth is that Poe had very long periods of sobriety. And he had to. He only lived to be 40. And he wrote enough to fill 17 volumes. And it's it's of a very, very very high quality. And it's not just the horror stories. It's not just the mystery stories. It's not just the poetry. It's not just the criticism. It's not just the humor. (laughs) It's, it's all of these things. Uh, And so Poe was a versatile writer um, and, and we've, you know, missed him as far as his, probably what he looked like. There are only, Eight known photographs of Poe, what were called daguerreotypes, and and the vast majority of them were taken in the last two years of his life when his health was starting to fall apart. So our view of Poe is primarily based on a handful of daguerreotypes taken in the last two years of his life. He didn't even grow the mustache until the last two or three years of his life. We can't even imagine Poe without that little mustache, but right. he he didn't wear it for the majority of his life. He lived to be forty and he probably grew it at the age of you know thirty seven. Um, we do have an early daguerreotype without the mustache, and we do have a few um, paintings, portraits done of him. But it still does not expand our visual sense of Poe because all of these paintings and all of these photographs, you could put them all together, and they all come from the period 1843 to 1849 the last 6 years of his life we have no record before that
1: and, and uh just on facebook today there was uh you know the chris's uh uh Poe museum in richmond had had that uh, post of the ambrotype mm-hmm. uh Yeah, it's one of those daguerreotype uh, photo type uh, with a a, a, what do you call it? Like an embroidery around it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, badly in need need of restoration. You know,
2: badly in need of being restored. Uh, It's all faded. It's 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 disintegrated, and uh, so it's a relic that needs to that 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 badly needs to be uh, restored. But it still falls into – it again, if you look at all the images that we have of Poe, they all come from the same group of pictures. They all go back to the same group of pictures. There were a lot of engravings done of Poe over the year. But when you look at them closely, you say, "Ah, oh, that's based on that 1848 daguerreotype, or that's based on the the, the, the the daguerreotype that was taken in Providence, or that's the one from Richmond. You get to know them very, very quickly. Um, they just aren't – again, they're just – and, and that's one of the things about that's created the mystery of Poe, is that Poe's life is not very well documented. Um, in, a, in a lot of ways, one he lived at a time when the, the, there wasn't the the documentation day in day out of somebody's life that there is going to be just a few years later. Um, he was born in 1809. Um, there are many many. Uh, long periods of, of Poe's life where we have no idea what he was doing. You know, what What was he doing uh, on this day? Never mind this day. What was he doing that year? Uh, there are long periods where there's just not good documentation for w- what his day-to-day existence was like. Now, if Poe had been born, you know, a, a few years later, we would have had an excellent record of his life. Mark Twain is born in 1835. Twain's life is very well documented. We, we practically know, can account for almost every day of Twain's life. Um, and that's not true of Poe. Uh, and we also have this small little group of pictures. If Poe had lived into the second half of the, uh, of the 19th century, he may have lived to the era of the, the Kodak, the, 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 the candid photograph where anybody could take pictures. You did not have to go into a studio and sit really stiff and hold the pose for many seconds because the lens had to stay open. He, 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 and think of what that would have If we could have had pictures of Poe playing leapfrog in the front yard of his house, if we could have had pictures of Poe laughing and joking with his friends, if we had pictures of Poe playing duets with his wife, Virginia, if we had pictures of Poe winning broad jump contests, all of which he did because guess what? He was athletic, and we don't think of Poe as athletic how would that all change our image of Edgar Allan Poe if we had that kind of record? And none of that exists for Poe, just mostly these gloomy photographs of him staring into the, 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 the a lens of a camera, looking like we want him to look, looking like the goth guy. And And again, I'm not saying Poe was not drawn to the creaky cellar door and, you know, what Stephen King called the unquiet coffin. Um, he was, he was, he was drawn to the death culture uh, of America at the time. Um, his hero was Lord Byron in black and was a romantic poet. Um, he, he patterned himself after that to a certain extent. And he was drawn to, to, to those subjects. But that's just a part of who Poe was. And to understand the guy who wrote those stories, you have to understand the rest of who he was. Otherwise, you're just thinking he was some mad genius who was spinning these stories out of uh, some kind of uh, obsession up in that attic we were talking about. And, and again, that's, that's not, he was, a, he was a very careful artist. And one that, that had very high standards for himself. And all of that is also not saying, by the way, that alcohol was not a problem for Poe. The, the one thing I do not want people to get into here is to say, well, you know, you, this is being a, an apologist for Poe. Alcohol is clearly a problem for Poe, but not the problem most people think it was. Um, Poe clearly was allergic to alcohol. Um, exactly why, we'll, ne- we'll never know. But from the point he takes, he, he's he's drinking for the first time, which is when he goes away to college uh, at the University of Virginia. From then on, whenever he's drinking, the record is fairly consistent that it took almost no alcohol to get him roaring drunk. He could take one drink, and he and he didn't sip it, he didn't savor it, he would charge down the first drink and immediately it would seem like he had been drunk for hours and he'd been drinking for hours. And then he took a long time to recover from it. It wasn't just the next morning hangover for him. It took him days in bed to recover from these from these binges. So Poe definitely has a problem with alcohol. And one of his problems is he picks the wrong time to drink every single time. He's one of the most self-destructive Writers in in history, he always picks the wrong moment to take a drink, and it's always bad for him and bad for everybody around him when he does that. But there are long, long periods of sobriety between those moments when 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 alcohol has, was a problem for him. So, yeah, it, how much did Poe drink? We don't know. And if you want to start a lively debate among Poe
1: scholars, just ask that question. Well, uh, he in the temperance pledge before or, or, you know, quite a while before arriving in Baltimore so saying that he was found drunk in Baltimore and, and would eventually lead to his death uh, that's may not be it uh, had any factor whatsoever in what happened in the last few days of his life.
2: I agree with that. As a matter of fact, I don't think he was drinking.
1: Um, You
2: know, the, the, the the main reason that people assumed he was drinking was to There are two. One is that he had these, these moments where uh, people had seen him drunk. So when they, you see Poe, uh seeming insensible and 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 barely able to stand on the streets of baltimore an easy first assumption is that he's been drinking so that's one thing and in fact a a, a when he's found a cousin of his is summoned to the the polling place which was also a a a bar a tavern hotel um when this cousin shows up he, he looks at poe and he assumes that poe has been drinking and this cousin later goes on the lecture circuit as a uh, an advocate of, of temperance. And he basically tells people, tell people, Poe died of drink. Well, there's no evidence of that at all. You know, there was no blood alcohol test. There was no, and the, the attending doctor, who is every bit as unreliable as the cousin, by the way, but the attending doctor is equally sure Poe wasn't drinking. And we, there is, there were tests done on Poe's hair. Uh, mm-hmm. Right after he, he you know, he died, there were snips of his hair taken. That was very common as keepsakes back then. And one of those snips that were taken right after his death were tested. And they don't have the indicators for alcohol. They would show up in the hair, what you ate and, and what you drank and things like that. A lot of that, what you were exposed to shows up, it can show up in tests done on hair. And it, you know, it it's, it all seems to suggest he kept the pledge that he kept it the, 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 the temperance pledge. And by the way, the temperance pledge was, to a certain extent, to convince uh, Elmira Royster Shelton of Richmond to marry him. He wanted to. He, he was he was either engaged when he left Richmond to Elmira, or they had an understanding. They had reached an understanding. Whether there was a formal engagement or not is still. It's like everything else in Poe's life; it's up for debate. He leaves Richmond clearly believing he is engaged to Elmira, and one of the things that he did to sort of convince her was to uh, to join the, the 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 local Sons of Temperance and take the pledge. And um, there's no proof he broke it. There's absolutely none that that he that, that he broke that pledge.
1: Yeah, and what the uh, hair test also ruled out carbon monoxide poisoning yes the, the
2: the the very low levels of of carbon monoxide
1: which was a very good
2: theory up to then was that oh they used um coal uh a for illuminating gas and that this gave off uh CO and that he would have been breathing and that's see based on the stereotype if Poe was the guy in a confined space up in the attic hunched over with a, with this illuminating gas, uh, there, then that's not a bad theory, but the truth is Poe walked all the time. Poe was, was, was not wealthy. So he didn't have a carriage. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have a way to get around. So he walked and he loved walking. He loved taking long walks. He loved taking long hikes. Also not the stereotype of Poe. And he got a lot of fresh air. He was out. He got a lot of exercise and a lot of fresh air and his 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 levels uh, for um, for for poison by illuminating gas were were negligible. So yes, that that is one of the things I tried to do with the book was uh, knock down some of the theories that have that have uh, is like rabies. You know, somebody came wow. up with rabies, and this is one of the problems with how Poe died is that Poe died if the symptoms are correct, and that's a big if, because the attending physician uh, I don't think is reliable in his, he left behind three accounts of Poe's last days, each one of them wildly different. I mean, if you had a witness on the witness
1: stand, and he changed his story three times, what would you think? (laughs) So, yeah, he he was very, he, he seemed almost like he wanted to become some kind of like groupie to you know write his version that's it's similar to, uh you know the uh you know death report was the same, same as uh you know he died at midnight and it, uh, all these other things
2: right uh he that changed, sound
1: like poe would have written it
2: he changed the time of death yeah the attending physician changes the time of death in the, in, in the account actually changes the time changes the last words well, I, I think at this point you throw out his testimony. You know, uh-huh. I think this would be thrown out of any court at this point to say, "It is a count." You say he dies at this time, and you say this and you say his last his last words. How careful have do you have to be with his last words? And I don't believe either account of the last words. Neither of them sound like Poe. They're, they're they're this hokey melodramatic. Last line that we're supposed to believe were Poe's last words. I don't buy it. But you you have, like I said, this this is one of the problems with Poe. You have all of these people who wrote about him many years after his death. And many of them had commercial reasons for saying what they said or embellishing the stories or changing the stories. And a lot of the evidence that we have is it was ruled out. So there's a lot of things we're always going on. If this is true, then. Well, you know, Poe was in the hospital for several days, and it's, it's, pro- it's pretty clear he did take liquids, that they would have given him liquids. They, they would have given him water. They would have given him bouillon or, or you know, beef soup or something while he was was in the hospital if he took one sip of of that water it probably rules out rabies which was a a theory which went around for a long time if you drink you 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 you, you can't drink if you have rabies you have a a, a complete aversion to, to to water um if he took one sip you know rabies gets ruled out and i, I believe he did and i believe you know it, but and again there was no uh Proof that there had been a bite, a wound of any kind. He's in the hospital for several days. His body would have been examined. So, you know, it's not to say you can definitively rule out anything, given the unreliability of the witnesses. But, you know, it's it's pretty clear it's probably not rabies. It's probably not, you know, uh, illuminating gas. Um, there's a lot of things that you can probably sort of say, Yeah, you know, probably not. But the problem with how Poe died is, if what we know the symptoms are correct, that he was delirious, that there was moments of lucidity, uh, the, the symptoms fit a staggering number of possible causes. So you can bend your theory around the causes because the causes are common to a lot of things. You say to yourself, well, could that be caused by a brain tumor? Yeah. Could it be caused by encephalitis? Yeah. Could it be caused by rabies? Yep. Can it cause-? The, the symptoms of a lot of those things are very similar. And what we do not have is uh, truly reliable information to fill in. Instead of bending the theory to meet the evidence, we need the evidence. And that's what's missing with Poe.
1: Um, it, it, and you get the you know you know what seems to be pretty you know uh standard discussion of the death scene is uh he's yelling reynolds Who, who's that person you know, uh you know you cover you know it is that you know, like uh uh Yeah, DT. You know, from stopping drinking, but we've already ruled out drinking. Uh, So, you know, is this some type of unrelated hallucination or something just invented by another one of the uh, unreliable medical staff?
2: Well, I think it goes back to Moran. John Moran is the attending physician. He is the only one who left behind accounts and he's the one who came up with the yelling out the name Reynolds and that is such a peculiar item that if he had consistently given it in each account I I would give it a lot more credence but by the second time he tells the story that item has disappeared from his account not only has it disappeared by his account but the name Reynolds is now given to a family who visits Poe, supposedly visits Poe. Um, and, and there is no account of a family named Reynolds visiting Poe or why they would. So the doctor has invented a new new reason to use the name, the same name. Did, this is beginning to sound a lot like fiction. This is beginning to sound an awful lot like what a fiction writer does. And I think that there is, is – is. so did Poe call out the name Reynolds? Um, well, an army of people have been searching for the identity of, of Reynolds, and I do think it could be based on complete misinformation. I don't trust Moran at all. Uh, when 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 there are the three accounts changing that much, and you're dealing with something like the death uh, of a great writer, I, and and you're that unreliable, I don't know how we take very much. You know, on faith for, for 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 what he is saying. Um, so no, I I I don't. I'm not convinced that that Poe called out Reynolds. Um, I, I, I'm suspe- I'm suspicious of almost everything when it comes to the circumstances of Poe's death.
1: Excuse yeah, <laughs> uh, this and you know, what's he doing in someone else's clothes? That's a great
2: mystery. See, that that, that, that's for, that we know that. He's got these ill-fitting clothes. <laughs> and, I mean, th- this seems to support the idea for one of the theories about the missing days is that Poe got cooped. And cooping, there was an election going on in Baltimore. And Baltimore was a very, very rough town. And even by East Coast standards, if you had a harbor back then uh, and you were an East Coast city in America in the 1840s, you had a rough section. You had a section near the docks where. You know, the the people came and went and uh, life could be very cheap. So uh, if Poe arrives from Richmond and he gets off the boat in Baltimore, the theory is that he gets shanghaied by these roving bands who would round up people to become repeat voters. And in between, they would keep them in pens, coops chicken coop type that is where it comes from It says you you're 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 cooped up and that's how it became known as cooping and there was an election going on at the time and it's a very good theory to uh to to explain Poe's missing days the problem is there are no witnesses no one person has ever stepped forward to say i saw Poe at this polling place i saw him brought to this polling place it would it would, it would explain the, the, the why he was wearing somebody else's clothes sometimes they changed people's clothes so they could be repeat voters and it would reduce uh, the likelihood of them being recognized that they were wearing different clothes so sure it, it's also a very baltimore explanation because you know back then baltimore was such a rough town its nickname was mob town because they would riot at the drop of a hat you know, they, 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 and they, they took their rioting seriously. They would drive the mayor and the sheriff out of town. You know, it would take days to restore order. I mean, people look at riots that go on in American cities and say, "That terrible." It, you know, read your history. <laughs> this has been going on, you know, since the earliest days of the republic. And uh, Baltimore had this down to a fine art. Uh, it, so, posing in a dangerous city, and he's at a time when there was an election. And cooping is a very, very good theory. I I lean towards that theory myself as as an explanation for the missing days. It's almost too perfect. It's almost one of those theories that it so fits Baltimore and it so fits all the evidence that you almost want to go, yeah, but it's almost too pat. It's almost, you know, and again, and there are no witnesses. So, I mean, if you if you if you if you put a gun to my head and said, uh, you know choose you know what what caused the missing days i'd go with cooping yeah because i i don't i have never heard a better theory but so, i'm also very quick to say there's no proof
1: well he, he had a meeting with a doctor it's like what uh dr uh, john carter
2: yeah in richmond
1: this yeah uh, okay so one of his last people that he is talking to Before the missing days start, is a doctor. He uh, – the doctor did not really notice.
2: No, anything out of the ordinary.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, other than Poe took the wrong cane. Yeah, he takes Carter's
2: cane, and that's that's still with him. Even though he's in his different clothes, he still has – it's a Malacca sword cane. It's a very distinctive cane. Poe still he takes it away by mistake and leaves his own cane behind. It's his walking stick. They're not canes. They're walking sticks. They're mm-hmm. gentlemen's walking sticks. And he, he, he still has Carter's sword cane with him uh, when he is found on the streets of Baltimore. Uh, it's an odd – see, yeah, if, if you're writing a detective story and you are looking at very distinctive clues, uh, and that's two things that should got to fascinate you, that he's wearing somebody else's clothes. That would immediately become you know, part of the solution if this was a true uh, mystery story, and he's, he still has Carter's walking stick with him. But I think one of the most interesting things, and that's what, again, you, not, you have unreliable witnesses. You also have conflicting testimony. For a long time, the assumption was Poe left Richmond sick, that he was feverish. He was suffering from something. Something was, was wrong. And this is based on the fact that before he sees Carter, he goes and he visits Elmira Royster Shelton, his fiancée, or his his soon-to-be fiancée, depending on what you believe. Well, she left behind an account where she said Poe was feverish. He, he, He looked ill. His pulse was racing. And she was so alarmed, she was sure he would not be in any condition to get on the boat later that night. And head north, in fact, she the next day heads for his, his, his rooming house. Sure, he's still going to be there, that he couldn't have possibly well he did, she learns he did leave at that point, and of course, she never sees him again. But after he left Elmira, he went to Dr. Carter's. He calls on Dr. Carter, he stays, he reads you know the magazine, he talks amiably with Carter. Carter's a doctor. And in his account, he does not give any indication that Poe was at all showing signs of distress over being ill. Poe then goes on to dinner. Poe leaves Carter and says, Well, I'm gonna go and get dinner and he has dinner with friends and then these friends take him down to the steamer to head north and they don't see anything wrong. They don't say they don't see it. He was in good spirits. They had a wonderful dinner, they had a good time, and Poe got on the boat. That's it. Poe gets on the boat. And at that point, he's shielded from our view. Nobody ever steps forward to say, I was on the boat. Now, boats back then had saloons. Uh, You know, you could drink uh, uh, on the boat on the steamers of those those times. But nobody has stepped forward to say, yes, I saw Poe drunk or on the boat or I had a drink with Poe or I had a conversation with him at the rail or nothing. So, you know these 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 days these missing days are, are it's like a curtain descends on the moment he gets on that steamer and it does not lift again until he is found on or outside that polling place wearing somebody else's clothes. <laughs> now that's as good a, a start to a mystery story as I've ever heard. So. <laughs> um, and, and and the fact that nobody has ever ever stepped forward in, the, in in the years and years that followed to say I passed him on the street you know anything anything that tells us he was at this particular point at at that moment in those six, in those missing days so again. It, it, you have unreliable witnesses, you have conflicting testimony, and you have interpretation of the conflicting uh, and, and and unreliable testimony. All of which always brings us back to, you know, the very first conversation I had about this book, uh, which was with uh, an editor at St. Martin's. And, um, you know, it's curious. I, I, I didn't really set out to write a biography of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe has been a favorite author for most of my life. He's he's in the pantheon of my favorite authors. And I, he's an author I've carried through my, own, my entire life. I have read as much as I could get my hands on. I have an enormous Poe library. And uh, I've, I've, I've read about him and researched him constantly. My wife and I do a two-person collection of Poe material, poems and short stories, which we've done for many, many years. And yet with all of this great love of Poe and this, this, this intimate knowledge of Poe, um, I never thought of myself as a potential biographer uh, for Poe. This really comes out of this conversation and it's it's because I wrote the Twilight Zone book. Um, that the, everything I need to know I learned in the Twilight Zone had done well enough uh for saint martin's that we had the inevitable follow-up conversation um when you sign a book contract there's always a clause where you owe the publisher uh, an option book now they don't have to do it you but you have to give them an uh the option to to publish your next book and then it's their option to either do it or turn it down but you have to at least offer it to them and uh It's a good clause because, you know, the publisher feels like, well, if if we did uh, a book that was successful enough to warrant a next book, then we should at least have uh, a go at that next book. That's that's fair. Um, So it came time to sort of have the conversation with an editor about the the next book. And um, I hit this editor with what I thought was my uh, can't miss slam dunk idea. And the only problem was it missed. It missed badly. He didn't like my slam dunk idea at all. And uh, he countered, he countered with an, another idea and I didn't like his idea. So I countered with my, my second best idea and that missed too. And we went back and forth like that, volleying back and forth and him not liking anything I was proposing and I'm not liking anything he's proposing. It's a very genial conversation. This is not in any way adversarial. It's a, it's It's a very nice conversation, but we were getting to the point of impasse. We were getting to the point where you're going to hang up and table the conversation for another day when hopefully you'll have a much more um, fruitful conversation. And just as we were about to hang up, he said, what about Edgar Allan Poe? And I said, Whoa, wait, wait! what made you say that? What made you think that? And he said, And sometimes it takes somebody else to state the obvious. He said, well, it just seems to me he checks a lot of your boxes. And I I said, like like how? What do you mean? He said, how does he not? You've written about horror topics like Dracula and the Night Stalker. You have written mystery topics like Columbo. He was a critic most of his writing life. You've been a critic most of your writing life. You've written a literary biography and you have written books about a great 19th century American author, Mark Twain. How does this not check all your boxes? And I thought, well, you know what? He, I, I, I get the point. point. But then it became like, well, what kind of book are you talking about? And it was clear that he, he, he was talking about a book. About the mystery of how Poe died, and I immediately sort of said, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, whoa! You, you are not seriously suggesting we write a book like the one that seems to get published every two years, promising you the solution to the mystery of Jack the Ripper's identity. Every two years, there seems in this one of the like they they arrive." like clockwork on the noon stage, and you get a new book saying, no, we've got the answer this time, and we really know can solve this definitively. And I said, well, you're not really suggesting we we do that kind of book for Poe, are you? Because this is as cold a case as you can get. This is a man who died in 1849, there was no death certificate, no autopsy. Even if there had been an autopsy, it would probably be worthless because They didn't know what they were doing for the most part with autopsies back then, and it would have been done with the equivalent of of butcher's instruments. If Poe had lived a few more years, he would have gotten a very good autopsy because the Civil War is what brought the art of the autopsy into the modern age because we got very good at dissecting human bodies uh, during the Civil War. But Poe dies in 1849 when they wouldn't have even known what they were looking for. So no death certificate, no autopsy, no surviving soft tissue that can be subjected to modern forensics, unreliable witnesses all over the place, conflicting evidence all over the place. I said, if that's the kind of book you want me to write, then you go Better You better find yourself another lunatic because this one's driving away. And he <laughs> said, so we talked about it. I said, I tell you what, I tell you what. I'll write you this book. How about I write an examination of Poe's life through the prism of his death? In other words, we use his death as a filter of examining how he lived, because I'm much more, as I said before, I'm much more interested in how Poe lived
0: than how he died.
2: And if I can come up with a convincing argument for how Poe died, I will make it, but I will not go so far as to claim I can prove it. I'm not going to claim there's evidence that exists that will definitively solve a case. In other words, I will build a case, but the best it could ever be is circumstantial. And, you know, I'm like a detective. I approached it like a detective building a case. And at the end of the book, you're sort of like the district attorney. I've given you all the evidence. Would you take this to court based on what I've given you? Would you do you think there's a strong enough case here to take it to court? Um I don't know the answer to that. That's up to every individual who reads I, the book to decide.
1: I think you make some very valid point. I've I've heard a lot, you know, the Alcohol, rabies, you know, the brain tumor, you know, from the moving of uh, the body from the first uh, resting place to the grave you could see now and the, you know, rattling inside the skull. You know, that, okay, that's uh possibility and, uh, you know, ruling out things, you know, you're bringing in the uh Otsie um testing from uh what five thousand years ago that's right that's so right. Uh, uh, i think you may you do present uh you know convincing evidence of what uh very may well be the explanation for why Poe died at uh, an early age uh you know, you rule out a lot of things like you, know, you already discussed you know if you're drinking uh water you don't have rabies so it, you, you ruled that out so uh, i i was thoroughly impressed uh very well, good points
2: i like uh, let me put it i like the solution that that i suggest but i'm very clear i don't insist on it um so no, you present
1: there there it is for you to accept it or but I'm not it. going
2: to say this has to be the answer
1: that's saying this is what I think is the answer
2: um I sure would like some hard evidence <laughs> um I'm an evidence guy you know and i and I want some hard evidence to support this um and and I, and I look for it, but I think you know i I think I've built a very strong circumstantial case, and you can circumstantial cases. People do get convicted on circumstantial cases. If the link of evidence is strong enough, a DA will take a circumstantial case to court, and if it's strong enough, it will convince a jury. So um, I think I've got a pretty good circumstantial uh, case that I've built. I think the difference between you know my book and, and anybody else's who have attached this is um, I'm very clear at what can and can't be proven. And I'm also, I, I don't insist that this be the answer. Um, I'm also pretty clear on the fact that I'm not even sure I want it solved. <laughs> that that what, we would certainly lose as much we, as we gain. Maybe we'd lose more if this mystery were solved because it's part of the romance of Poe's mystique is that he has this mystery surrounding his death and we keep trying to solve it. I I think that's wonderful. Uh, In a way, Um, it's like I said, if if people come away from this with a better understanding of how Poe might have died, that's wonderful. But I really want people to have a better understanding of who Poe was and how he lived and who the guy was uh, who wrote these stories. It's it's like if you go back to 1960, let's say, you know, and and the, the, the dawn of that amazing decade. When so many things got turned upside down and inside out, if you look at the very, very beginning of that decade and you look at the two writers we've talked about, the two iconic writers uh, of the 19th century.
1: Poe and Twain.
2: Poe and Twain. Their reputations are, are – are they are universally recognized writers going into the 1960s, and both of their reputations are somewhat based on stereotypes. Poe's, as we've already discussed, is basically the – Uh, macabre, somber, maybe mad spinner of horror tales. And Twain is the genial, grandfatherly man of letters, the family author, the boy's author, the dispenser of of witticisms. And there was a lot more to Twain, just as there was a lot more to Poe. The difference is, as we move through the 1960s, Twain's suppressed writings start to get published and come out, and it expands our view of Twain. We now accept that Twain was this great social critic; that he had these darker aspects to his personality, and all of this has expanded our view of Twain. Amazingly, though, you know, for those who might be afraid, Twain's own daughter was afraid of this—that this might hurt his reputation. It enhanced his reputation. We did not lose Twain, the grandfatherly man of letters. We didn't lose the genial wit. We just gained all these other Mark Twains. And, and, and so it enriched our view of him. Poe comes out of the 1960s, the same guy he went in. So, Poe, we get to the end of this, Poe's every bit as popular. But there was no attempt to broaden our view of Poe and say, yes, but Poe is also this, this, and this. And therefore, our view of, of Poe has remained static to this day. Our view of Poe, largely today, is the same view we had of him in 1960. And what I want to say to, to, to people, you don't have to be afraid of losing the man who made us afraid. He ain't going nowhere. That, that guy's always going to be there. That, that, that guy is, is rock solid. By accepting that there was a lot more to Poe, we're not going to lose that other Poe. We're just going to gain an understanding of how he actually wrote those stories. And in order to do that, the very first thing we've denied him, which is a sense of humor. Poe was a richly comic guy. And this was something which I started to suspect long, long ago, not only from reading Poe and realizing how much humor there is, even in the horror stories. There are some some richly funny moments, but also reading his 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 his, his criticism, which have some some razor sharp blasts them. very funny. And then his his humor that he wrote, his satires, his hoaxes, all of these things. You know, I knew Poe had a sense of humor, but the other thing that drove it home was getting to know a lot of horror writers and one thing that i noticed about almost every horror writer and horror director and even horror actors that i interviewed over the years and i interviewed a lot of them is they had one thing in common almost all of them have of humor and when i commented on this to people like robert block who wrote psycho or stephen king they said well of course you have to have a sense of humor to do this it's it, it, it is part of the essential makeup of a horror writer to have a sense of humor. You'd go crazy if you tried to write this stuff and you did not have a sense of humor to keep you grounded. So, in other words, Poe not only had a sense of humor, he had to have had a sense of humor. It would have—it's—it's it's, the—the first thing we deny him, and it's the most essential part of his makeup. He had to have. And the more you learn about Poe, the more you realize, oh, yeah, he did. He did have a great sense of humor, and he was funny. And he needed it to write those stories. So in order to understand the Poe who wrote The Telltale Heart and The Cask of Amontillado and The Mask of the Red Death, in order to understand that Poe, you have to understand the real person and where the writing came from and how it came from. And like Vincent Price told me uh, about Poe. That Poe was was absolutely curious about. He had one of the most acquisitive minds. He was interested in science, in rocks, in flowers, in physics, in travel, in geography, in religions and languages, and he is interested in everything. And that is something that a horror writer also needs: is, is this, this ability to be interested in this wide world around you. And these are things that that work against the stereotype of Poe. And and, and once you realize that this was who Poe was, it makes the fact that he wrote the horror stories and was so good at it logical. It's like, that's why he was so good. He wasn't good at it just because he was some freak of nature. He was good at it because of all the other parts of his personality. All synced up beautifully to be this great horror writer.
1: Yeah, and and you, with a statement like that, you kind of give us an indication of what his mom was like. I'm sorry. uh, What is? Did you say his his mother? Yeah, she would. Yeah, uh, yeah. She she. Uh, or he he seemed to have a very similar mindset. Yeah, like he, he, um, he if you if you
2: um, Elizabeth who who dies very young, uh, she's only twenty four of tuberculosis, and Poe is only he's two going on three when she dies, and most accounts put him at the de- the deathbed. Um, she she was an amazing actress now being an actor in america in uh around 1810 1811 this is a very very tough existence um you had to learn a lot of roles you had to commit a lot of roles to 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 uh, by heart because you had to be ready to go at any point to play anything from shakespeare to comedy to melodrama to music you had to be able to dance, you had to be able to do comic bits, you had to be able to to sing. And if you weren't doing any of that, you were probably taking tixi- t- tickets in the box office or you were moving set pieces or you were, and the theaters themselves were death traps. They almost always burned down and the conditions were the dressing rooms were rat infested and, and just uh, disease ridden. The hotels you stayed in were terrible. Uh, with if yellow fever or cholera were were raging, you'd probably get it, uh, because you were out there, uh, living this very, very hard life. And Poe's mother was tough. She was the 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 daughter of actors and she had been brought up to work hard. And Poe got, um, not only his creativity and his touch of genius from Elizabeth, um, he also got her work ethic. He's a very hard worker. And this is, again, this works against the, the mystique of Poe because, you know, we prefer to think of him as being inebriated all the time. But he had a tremendous work ethic, especially when he's working as an editor of the magazines. He's doing a tremendous amount of work uh, for those magazines, staggering amount of work. And um, unfortunately, you know, his, his, his father, uh, David Poe, He inherited some things from from David as well. Uh, He inherited some of the bad things from David. Uh, David Poe had a problem with alcohol. David Poe was extraordinarily sensitive to criticism. Uh, Poe got that. And uh, so he inherits things from both parents, but uh, a lot of the things that are sort of the mark of genius. And that's interesting, too, is that later in life, Poe does not disown his heritage and you have to remember that when Poe is adopted by the Allen family and he's never really adopted, he's a, he's a foster child. He's never, they never formally adopt him. And then ultimately John Allen disinherits him. But he, he, he has pretensions of, of being a Virginia aristocrat, a gentleman. And that class looked on the theater with abhorrence. There was a, one of the nicknames for the theater was the Legs of Satan. You know, actors were were, were viewed as maybe one step up from from prostitutes in in that time. And Poe was very proud, especially of his mother, and he he never disowned the fact that he was the son of an actress and a great actress. And he was always very proud of it, and he and he proclaimed it in print. You know, there's there's one amazing thing he wrote. In the last few years of his life, where he says the author of this piece is not only the son of an actress but a, but a great actress, and says it proudly and has never denied it, so he's he's very proud of that he's, you know which is, which is he, one of the most admirable things about him that he doesn't disown the Poe if, if anything, he disowns the Allen part because he gets the Allen part from John Allen, which becomes his middle name. But he didn't use it. You know, another misnomer about Poe. He was not Edgar Allan Poe to the public. He was either Edgar Poe or E.A. Poe or Edgar A. Poe. But he was not Edgar. He very rarely signed his name Edgar Allan Poe. We've made him Edgar Allan Poe. And I think he, he, he would just assume the Allan part not even be part of it because he, he – Ended on very very bad terms with John Allen.
1: Yeah, you know, more you know, in your a um, mystery of mysteries, you do talk about literary forensics, and you know you do consult with um, you know your uh, buddy. John Douglas and our friend Mark Olshaker and mm-hmm. I think uh, I think Barbara has a photo of uh, uh, with you signing your Shawshank book. I sent to my uh, friend the Red Dragon Rider and Johnny and Helen Holmes or <laughs> at the, the hotel hotel restaurant and you know mark mark sitting uh, behind us but uh, i made copies of that uh, photo but i you know mark is is you know really uh or mark and john are you know, just a fascinating writing team uh yeah you know, just looking at all these, you know, little details that you know we've been discussing. What did you learn from di- discussing bringing them in to dis- discuss their views of all the all this craziness that, that it, no one's been able to figure out uh, uh, all. all What happened to Poe in the last uh, few days?
2: You know, um, and it was the, you know, I I was saying about how, you know, I took some chances with the book. And uh, one of them was the dual narrative, um, because, again, I just didn't want to write a traditional biography of Poe but you when you do that you kind of know you're you're leading with your chin a bit you know because you're, you're you're very exposed when you it'd be very easy to play it safe and write a, a a traditional narrative for for life so when you do it this way it's sort of like being on the high diving board and uh hoping there's water in the pool when you hit um and so what but one of the chances I took was doing interviews uh for the book because you know, conventionally, you do not do interviews with people for somebody who died in 1849. There's nobody left to talk to who <laughs> saw that person or knew him. Um, but I was a journalist for 43 years. And I used the skills of a journalist, a detective, a documentarian, if you will, uh, in this. And I, there are voices throughout the book derived from interviews. And what I did was I went to... Um, all sorts of experts on various aspects of Poe's life and death, and um, yeah, I interviewed a forensic pathologist, uh, you know, uh, forensic archaeologists, uh, medical historians, medical experts of all types, um, and various Poe scholars who have minutely studied various aspects of his life. And I viewed this as sort of like the detective. And these are my witnesses. These are my expert witnesses. And I went to them and I asked them very specific questions about very specific aspects of Poe's life and career. So uh, I went to Mark Olshaker and John Douglas uh, primarily because I I wanted an FBI agent (laughs) and I wanted the best. And, uh, and I wanted, you know, his view of what, how, how, how an FBI agent would view this case if, if uh, it were presented to him. Um, so that was one of the questions I had for John. But I also wanted, to, John and Mark have both been, they said this in one of the Mindhunter books. Poe is widely credited as being the father of the modern detective story. He created the character in C Auguste Dupin, who is basically the role model for Sherlock Holmes and all of the master sleuths that are going to follow uh, Conan Doyle himself said that Conan Doyle basically said the mystery story was nowhere until Poe comes up with Dupin and writes the murders in the Rue Morgue. So um, Conan Doyle gave Poe full credit in a number of occasions. So we we grant that, that Poe is the father of the modern detective story. Mark Olshaker and John Douglas, however, believe that Poe was actually the father of modern profiling, the expertise that John uh, pioneered at the FBI, and did this through his use of rational profiling in his mystery stories. Um, That may seem like a pretty wild claim for me to make. And if I made that claim for Poe, people might have an, oh, come on, you're stretching this a bit. It's a lot different when Mark Olshaker and John Douglas make that claim. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to them was I wanted their view on that. Is Poe actually the father of modern profiling? According to John Douglas, he is. And there's no greater authority on the subject than John Douglas. That's where the reason I went for these voices. Um, these were people who could say things with authority, with great authority, um, and, and and say it based on their own expertise. So you know, if I have, you know, one of the leading experts on you know a certain disease or a certain uh, city where Poe is living at a time. I went to them and said, you know, tell me about this, you know, you know, more than I could ever know in studying a lifetime because you have spent a lifetime studying this. Let me tap your fine mind and use your expertise. Tell me about this. And that is how I built, you know, my witnesses in all of this was to talk to people who then. Now, that is a very unconventional way to write a biography. And 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 I and by the way I encouraged all of them to speak as candidly as possible not to speak as you know serious minded academics or you know cop speak or forensic speak I I encouraged all of them to to put it in in ways that would be relatable by people not of their professions and from that came gold Almost everybody came through so that when I quoted them, I quoted them in a way that I think really helps bring Poe's story alive. Um, Ed Pettit, who is at the the Rosenbach uh, Archives and Museum in uh, Philadelphia. Now, one of the things that people do not know about Poe is if I was to say, what city do you associate Poe with? You know, most people come up with Baltimore first. Because Baltimore has embraced, but now in truth, Poe didn't live in Baltimore very long. He actually lived for a few years in Baltimore in the 1830s, um, and his family was from there traditionally. The Poes were from Baltimore, but he was born in Boston and he grew up in Richmond, and he only lives in Baltimore for a couple of years. But he goes, but he ends up dying there, and that's it. You know, that's the big thing, you know, so there, there's a friendly rivalry among the cities that claim Poe and and truly uh, five cities have a very good claim on Poe. Boston, because he was born there, you know, New York, because he was living there the last few years of his life. And that's where he was living when The Raven was published. And that's was where he was living when he died. You know. Baltimore. Richmond, because he grows up in Richmond. So Boston, New York, Baltimore, Richmond, and then the fifth city is Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is probably the one we we, we associate with him the least. And yet, he lives in Philadelphia for about six years. Six of his adult years. But that's not inconsiderable for a man who only lives to be 40. And those six years are his prime years as a writer. He lives in five different residences when he's in Philadelphia, and he writes most of his best-known stories. When he, he he writes, *The Fall of the House of Usher*, *The Pit and the Pendulum*, uh, *The Black Cat*, *The Tell-Tale Heart*, uh, *Murders in the Rue Morgue*, uh, <laughs> *The Gold Bug*. These all come out of uh, of the Philadelphia years. The Philadelphia years are his his is prime years as a short story writer for writing the things for which we most remember him for. Um, and, and, and poor Philadelphia gets the, 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 the least association with Poe. So, you know, I asked Ed Pettit about this as a a literary spokesman for the city of Philadelphia. And, and again, I had told Ed to speak as colloquially as possible. And Ed said, um, when you go into the Hall of Fame in baseball, you go in under the, the jersey for the team for which you put up the big numbers. Poe put up his big numbers here in Philadelphia. This is where he's on the hitting streak. Now, who says it that way? Who puts it that way? But what a relatable, wonderful way to put Poe's literary accomplishments, his golden years into perspective, is that he put up his big numbers here. That's a great way to put it. And no other biography is going to have that phrase in it, uh, you know, related to Poe. So uh, that's just one example. uh, There uh, there were so many wonderful examples of that. I think a lot of these, uh, I hope, I really do hope that these scholars really enjoyed uh, talking to me because I really did encourage them to talk in a way that was very much relatable, not to other scholars, but to, you know, this was meant to be a popular biography. I told all of them, I'm not trying to write a scholarly biography. I'm I'm not that person. As I said before, I'm not an academic. Um, I'm I'm a working writer. This is a working writer's book about a writer. And so there's got to be better people to write the standard academic biography there there better be better people to do that and and i would never put myself forward to be that person this is very much meant to be a popular biography and therefore i used the tools of the journalist i know that there are going to be some people who read the book and object to that i know there are going to be some people who who will not like the dual timeline and um, if they object to that um, i will All I will say is I will paraphrase what Stephen King said when he said that uh, if you object to the types of stories I write, if you object to my inclination to write about things horrific and terrifying, all I can tell you is it's what I have. And I think that's my that's what exactly what I would say about this book, if you if you don't like the way it's written um it's fair i i, I you know nobody has to to like what you do and uh, that that's that, that's fair but it's what i have i brought the skills that i have had as a writer and i'm not going to tr- all of a sudden pretend to be a different kind of writer or a different type of uh, a, a different person than i am
0: <laughs>
1: when this book came out uh, what uh, last you've been doing some uh, regional library uh, talks and um, lectures here and there Um, how are the audiences uh, responding to your discussions
2: oh so far wonderfully (laughs) I have to say I think talking great. about
1: Poe is, you know,
2: you're not going in and, and talking about, um, you know, the essays of Emerson or the, you know, <laughs> some old English author like Hazlitt or some some such thing. You're, you're talking about Edgar Allan Poe, and that's fun. And it's it should be fun. If I can't make Edgar Allan Poe fun, then I I, I would need to hang it up. Um, you know, I, I bring a great deal of passion to uh, these talks, and it's genuine. It's not faked in any way. I I, I I truly love talking about Edgar Allan Poe, and I think the audiences do. And I think that's reflective of one reason Poe is still alive as an author. Um, you know, I get into this in the book a bit, but Poe is our true renewable energy source from a literary standpoint. Poe keeps getting reintroduced in curriculum. And it's marvelous. Everybody gets Poe. You got Poe? I got Poe. All God's children get Poe. And the reason is because in junior high school, you know, usually about the seventh grade, they give you Poe for the first time. And then you keep getting him. You get him through high school. And then if you go on to college and take English courses, you're going to get him again. And English teachers love teaching Poe. And the kids love getting it. Because by the time you're in the seventh grade, most seventh graders, have a um, an antipathy towards reading the reading is a chore reading is onerous a lot of that's because of what we give kids to read Um, we give them all the wrong things and we give them things that almost are guaranteed to kill off a love of reading let me have the curriculum for a few days and I will you know create generations of readers which will, 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 will which will last unto your children and your children's children. And it's, it's just so sad that we do this. But the one thing we do right is we give them Poe. And we almost inevitably give them Poe at that great age, you know, uh, of being young teenagers. And they've been getting all of this heavy writing. writing this is reading. This is reading. This is reading. All of a sudden we give them Poe. And Poe's... Walling people up in catacombs and dismembering corpses and locking them up in torture chambers and yeah. all of a sudden are like this is reading, oh this is great, you know, and it just it's wonderful stuff to give people at that age because it just fires up your imagination, and again, I, I, the, the students just love getting Poe at that age. And then the teachers love teaching it because it's it's reading that really for all the death and dying it really comes alive, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I've found that too.
2: And then that gets that gets constantly reintroduced, so everybody gets it, and and you're constantly meeting people when you say you know you're, you're we're going to talk about Poe, and they'll they'll tell you something like oh you know. In the seventh grade, I had to memorize the first three stanzas of the Raven. You want to hear them? I can still do it. And, <laughs> and mm-hmm. once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, they're right into it. It's wonderful, and and I think that that is uh, what makes one of the things that makes Poe fun is that's not true with any other writer. There's no other writer that you can come in and they kind of have that personal connection that was forged at that incredible age. Um, and it's why he can be still be marketable. It's why we can still, you know, we put him on T-shirts and we make him bobbleheads and action figures and put him on buttons and put him on mugs and put him on everything. You know, it's Poe's everywhere. Yeah, you can go to a bookstore, uh, whether it be a BAM or a Barnes and Noble, and you can see like two or three shelves of Poe merchandise. You know. Where's the Longfellow merchandise? Where are the shelves dedicated to Emerson? You know? <laughs> uh-huh. You've
0: know,
2: you got like two or three shelves uh, of, of merchandise. You can go on Etsy, and there are thousands upon thousands of Poe items available. Uh, there's no distant second for a writer, for not Shakespeare, not anybody who comes anywhere close to the amount of merchandise that's available for Poe. And it's 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 it and it's not just that we know him, and it's not just that we recognize who he is, it's that we also recognize the writing. It's not like if I say the telltale heart, they don't know what I'm uh, – all of a sudden, well, what are you talking about? They know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the one where the guy cuts out the guy's heart <laughs> and puts it under the floorboards. Yeah, that's it all right. They know the Raven. They they know the stories. They know the Pit and the Pendulum or the House of Usher. And, you know, Hollywood's been a great ally in all of this. Um, from the 1930s on, we had the Universal Poe films, you know, Poe in, in, in quotes, uh, with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, like The Black Cat and The Raven and The Murders in the Room Morgue. And then in the 60s we got the Roger Corman films with Vincent right. Price. And and those films rarely had anything to do with Poe. <laughs> they 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 a lot of those movies were just called The Raven or or whatever. Some of them had more to do with Poe. The, the House of Usher and uh The Murder uh The Mask of the Red Death. By, by Corman are both very good films. But Hollywood has sort of kept Poe going here too. They've been in how many times can you say that Hollywood has been in conspiracy with, with, with curriculum to keep an author? Of? But it's true. And and you mentioned before, how often does Poe get referenced? And we know except that people are going to recognize him when he gets referenced in the Simpsons or gets referenced in South park
1: or goes SpongeBob,
2: Yeah. Or SpongeBob does their turn on the telltale <laughs> part. Exactly. Right. Is the, the, the They're gonna get it. They're gonna recognize where this is coming from, and so Hollywood and and curriculum have been two pillars that Poe's reputation has stood on in all all these years. And here he is. He's barreling in, you know, through the 21st century um, as the most read and most popular American author. And um, yeah, I, I think Twain is still as recognized. But he's not as read, you know. the The problem with Twain is he's dropped out of curriculum for, for the most part. He's he presents difficulties, which you know of putting his writing into historical context, which is difficult to do. And rather than face the difficulties, a lot of uh, academic institutions have just chosen to drop him out of curriculum. And um, I don't think his his great works get read as as much. Uh, as they used to I don't think we're in the danger of Twain going away but I think we quote Twain more than we read him I think we recognize him still and I think he gets quoted equally he's probably the most quoted American author but I think Poe's the best read because we actually read Poe and we enjoy reading Poe and so there's no resistance to it and that's true of horror too you know is that Poe becomes this this, this this tradition of, you know, that's going to go on. And horror always gives you that wonderful metaphoric way of dealing with things. And so, you know, it gets a pass often enough. It doesn't get the respect that it's due, but it also kind of gets that pass. So Poe is also credited with being the, the, the person who's going to give us Stephen King and Neil Gaiman and Anne Rice and all of these other writers who acknowledge Poe as the, uh, as the headwaters, as the, uh, as the master of all this. So all of that, I think, has, uh, has come together to create a perfect storm, which would be a perfect, uh, Poe symbol and something like the descent into the maelstrom. Um, he, he would, you know, it, it has come together to, to ensure his, uh, his immortality, as a, as an American author, and that's why I say, you know, Poe's the ultimate part of Poe's story. As sad as his life was, and as hard as his life was, it's a it's it's a good ending. It's a happy ending from the from the from the from when you step back and look at it. That's because like, <laughs> you're going to soar higher than any of them, Eddie, you know, just just hold on, buddy. You're you <laughs> and you want to go back and tell them. You wish there was a way to go back and say to him, don't worry, you're the one they're going to remember. You know, I said that to a post scholar. And she said, uh, I think he knew. And I thought about it for a second. I said, I nodded my head. I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think he knew because he was that smart. He was that smart. And he knew, I think, that history was on his
1: side. And it sure has been. So if he would not have died at the age of 40 in 1949 with, uh, you know, just say Moby Dick a couple of years later and the House of the Seven Gables and, you know, getting closer to uh, uh, Uncle Tom's cabin in the Civil War. Uh, Where would, where do you think Poe was going had he lived another, you know, 15, 20 years?
2: You know, that's a favorite speculation among Poe scholars and Poe fans. And, um, there's really no way of knowing you know it it that's all that ever can be is speculation it's It's one of those you know what I like to say is like you know what- what would have happened if if Spartacus had a piper cup would he have won you know no 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 you know, we don't know, you know? It's just, it just didn't happen, so how do we know uh and Poe, you can argue it a lot of different ways uh, the the I think the easy assumption is that well, poe was raised in um, a slave-owning culture he viewed himself primarily as a virginian virginia was the seat of the confederacy so had he lived uh, he was anti-abolitionist he did not like the abolitionists so is the easy assumption that poe would have joined the confederate cause and fought for virginia That's a very easy assumption because um, Poe is also a Whig. His politics were Whiggish, and the Whigs are going to become the Republicans. They're going to become the party of of Abraham Lincoln. So it's too easy to sort of immediately and Poe lives the vast majority of his professional life in two northern cities, Philadelphia and New York, the last 12 years of his life, 11 or 12 years of his life, are spent. You know, he doesn't live in the South. He doesn't live. You know, he visits Richmond, uh, but he is his residences for the less are Northern cities, are Philadelphia and New York. And there's also a debate at how much Poe, uh, how how much Southern identity meant to Poe. Did he sort of accent his southerness when it was convenient? He was very good at fitting in uh, in northern cultures. And I don't think Poe actually viewed himself as a northerner or a southerner. And, and I could be wrong. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm with everybody else. I'm just speculating. I'm playing with the bank's money here. I don't, I don't know anything more about this than anybody else does. But I do believe that Poe viewed himself as a citizen of the world. I think he had a bigger view of himself. I don't think he viewed himself, you know, as a Northerner, a Southerner, a sectionalist or anything like that. I think Poe thought of himself as an internationalist. And I think he he had a a much bigger view of himself. Um, And so in the the 10 years between, you know, he dies and when, you know, we're heading inexorably towards a civil war. Poe could have changed many times. His viewpoints could have changed many times. And we don't know where he would have gone. He dies at 40. And I think one of the, the things about Poe that's interesting is that, um, you know, there are a lot of writers who die in that that, that span of 40 to 40, 45, 46 years old. A lot of, of, of great writers Died in that, then that either heart attacks or tuberculosis or something, you know, that got them at that point. But uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald dies at 44. Flannery O'Connor dies about that age. Jack London, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, Anton Chekhov, uh, they, they they all kind of check out in this this 40 to 45, 46 range. Um, and in almost every instance, when a writer dies at that age. People will say, "What would they have accomplished? Where, where? What would they have done if they had lived a normal lifespan? Because forty to sixty is kind of considered prime time for a writer. Uh, yeah. Forty to sixty is the sweet spot where you have you you have gained enough life experience and experience in writing to put it all together and write what's going to be your masterpieces." Um, so there's always kind of this feeling when a flannery o'connor or a uh an f scott fitzgerald dies about that age that this is a, a life cut short and it's an unfinished life there's not that same sense with poe poe dies at 40 and yet there's a sense of completeness there's a sense that he, he he did what he was meant to do with those 40 years largely because he does so much and he does so much at high quality you know, he, he finds time to write this great poetry. He finds time to create the modern horror story. He finds time to create the modern detective story, to do all this incredible criticism. And and there's this feeling of completeness when he dies, of where was he heading? What works would he have done? It's, it's very, very difficult to say with Poe. Um, You know, he he has this very, very productive, he's very productive and industrious until uh, Virginia dies, his his wife dies, and then he kind of falls apart. And it's one of the few fallow periods, the, 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 the months leading up to Virginia's death and then the year, year and a half that followed. It's a period where he produces very, very little writing of any kind. And one reason is that his, he is he's in bad shape emotionally and certainly physically he's starting to fall apart. Um, so there's this, this fallow period. But then at the very end, almost how like when people say when people are dying, they have right before they, they enter the last phase, there's almost a period where they bloom and they look really healthy for a little while. And they uh-huh. and then they they very well Poe sort of has that from a literary standpoint. At the very end, he has this Renaissance, where all of a sudden he comes alive, and he writes two of his best short stories, um, The Cask of Amontillado and Hop Frog, both of which are revenge stories, by the way. And two of my favorites. I don't like revenge, I don't believe in it, and yet they're two of my favorite Poe stories. I don't know why. Uh, But he writes these two amazing stories uh, towards the end, and he has this return to poetry, his first love, and he writes most of his poetry at the very beginning of his career. And then he's very busy. He's writing all these uh, 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 short stories, and he's editing magazines, and he's doing all this criticism, and he kind of, you know, poetry takes a back seat, and uh, he does The Raven in 1845. You know, and that's certainly just. But then at the end, he has this kind of return to poetry and he writes the bells. And he writes Annabel Lee. <laughs> and he writes El Dorado. And this is all sort of at the end where you get this 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 last wonderful flourishing of the poet. And then he's then he dies and then he's gone. So where he would have gone next. You know, there is certainly unfulfilled aspects to Poe's career as a writer. He never really wrote a great novel. You know, um, he wrote one novel. He made one attempt at a novel. It's an endlessly interesting, very strange novel. (laughs) Um, But he, he, he is, he never does return to that. He never has, you know, the time, and the energy to dedicate and the resources to dedicate, you know, it's certainly something that you kind of look at and go, would he have written something in bringing all of that together, all of that, uh, those, those amazing uh, parts of his personality, the the mystery writer, the horror writer, the poet, the critic, uh, all of those essential parts and written a a novel which in some way brought all of those aspects of his genius together. Uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. And nobody knows if it, if it was. But it does seem like it's if there was something missing. If you look at the four major writers who sort of brought horror into the modern age in the 19th century, it starts with Mary Shelley, you know, who precedes uh-huh. And Mary Shelley, you know, obviously with Frankenstein, which has an enormous impact on both horror and science fiction. Um, So it starts with Mary Shelley. And then we move to and then it goes on to Robert Louis Stevenson, who, you know, not only with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but also the body snatcher and all of the amazing short stories he wrote that fell on the spooky side of the street. And then it ends in 1897 with the publication of Dracula by Bram Stoker. And those are the those, that's the Mount Rushmore of, of horror writers for for the 1800s. And if okay. you look if you look at those four, you always have to say which of these four is not like the others. Well, only one of them has a first name that does not begin with the letter S. So let's start there. We have Shelley, Stevenson, and Stoker. Only one of these does not come from the British Isles. Stoker is Irish, Shelley is English, and Stevenson is Scottish. Poe is the lone American in the group. Only one of these did not write a landmark seminal horror novel. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, Stevenson wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Stoker writes Dracula. Poe does it all with a short story. Form. So, Poe is right there. He's one of the four that you put on the Mount Rushmore of horror writers. Um and it's not to say that there weren't other really important horror writers of, of the 1800s and Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu comes to mind and others. But H- Henry James is in there, but these four, you know, right there this is it. This is the big four. This is the Beatles of, of horror literature here. And if you sort of look at that, Poe stands out in so many ways because he is not like the others in so many ways, and uh, and I, I think it's it's neat that he is the sole American in there because um, he, he the one thing he does not have is that novel that 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 one novel that would be stand shoulder to shoulder with Frankenstein and Dracula and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. So you know, yeah, I, I think. It's always fun to sort of speculate where Poe would have gone, not only politically and personally, but also uh, – I mean, you just, there's just so much that's, that's – that's one of the great things about Poe. There's just – everything is up for grabs and speculation with Poe, and you can always argue it both ways. <laughs> you can always sort of say, well – well, yeah, he would have done this, this, and this, and then you think, say, yeah, on the other hand, on the other hand, there's always another hand with Poe. There's always, <laughs> <laughs> there's always another where you go, yes, but how about this? And I think that's one of the things that
1: makes him fascinating. Okay, so, yeah, you've mentioned yeah your <clears throat> talks with, Stephen King and interviewing him for your book on uh, the Shawshank uh, Redemption uh, you know you uh, also were uh, good friends with uh, Richard Matheson from Twilight Zone and Duel um, you, you know, what was Poe's influence on Richard's writing career?
2: Um, You know, I never asked that directly. Isn't that odd? Because Richard wrote um, a lot of the Roger Corman uh, Poe films. And you would think I would have had a deeper conversation with him about Poe. I don't think... And this is going to sound strange, because given that he did write the Poe adaptations. I don't think Poe resonated with Richard as much as it did other writers, but um, I don't think there's any question that Poe had an influence. Uh, he certainly, Poe had a tremendous influence on, on uh, Charles Beaumont, who was Richard's close friend and fellow Twilight Zone writer. Uh, a, a, a bigger avowed influence on Beaumont than he was on Matheson but there's no escaping it Poe influenced them all either directly or indirectly Stephen King said that Stephen King said if Poe hadn't influenced him directly he certainly influenced all the guys who influenced him so it doesn't matter whether he influenced him directly or not he still influenced him because the all the 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 horror writers who followed were were influenced by 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 Poe. And not just horror writers. Also all kinds of writers are influenced by Poe. Um, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald about uh, cheered Poe and celebrated Poe. Poe is one of his primary influences. You don't really think of Fitzgerald and Poe in the no, same I'd yes. I wouldn't
1: have thought that either.
2: <laughs> yeah. But you you do have this A, a lot of people who just Thought George Bernard Shaw was a, was a tremendous Poe fan, so you have all of these writers who were, were you know profoundly influenced by Poe, and so even if there was no direct influence uh, on 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 one, now, now Ray Bradbury Bradbury was tremendously influenced by Poe and paid tribute to to Poe in several of his own stories. There's several stories a couple of which Poe actually shows up as a character (laughs) and, and others where he, he makes reference, you know, he does his own version uh, of, uh, of the telltale heart. He does his own version of the house of Usher, um, you know, uh, and, and again, you know, Ray said that uh, Poe took the heart story and made literature of it. And I think that's an insightful, uh, uh, a description of Poe as we're ever going to get. So, um, so yeah, whether you were directly influenced by Poe or not, but certainly plenty of people like Neil Gaiman and Anne Rice and many, many others, you know, basically said, yeah, Poe was the guy. You know, Poe was the the, the early influence and the great influence. And um, and I and I think you've also seen Poe acknowledged as a a. Great influence on crime writers, thriller writers, um, writers of fantasy and and and, and horror. And in some cases, science fiction, um, and music. There's a tremendous number of uh, of rock stars and uh, popular artists who have spoken of their great love for Edgar Allan Poe, and I think <laughs> that you know again that's another one of those things that gives him street cred that uh um, a lot of other writers don't have i mean the man's name checked in songs by john lennon and bob dylan who's got that you know <laughs> yeah where where's 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 the name checks for for hemingway and 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 uh in, in, in the songs of john lennon and bob dylan that's you know it's great i mean annabel lee has been set to music uh and performed by rock stars and country stars. Yeah, you just you, you. Again, you know, who's setting Longfellow's poems to music?
1: Um, the Yardbirds did "A Dream Within a Dream." Yes, yeah. Uh,
2: there's there's several versions of that. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, uh,
1: poem, Iron maidens, iron. Uh, uh, murders in the Rue morgue.
2: Right. He's been. He's inspired opera. He's inspired ballet.
1: He's inspired
2: rock music, country music. Um, it just, you know, that's that's one of the things I think it's 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 cool to like Edgar Allan Poe. It's you know you don't you never and I think that's one of the things that we were talking about. You know how are these talks going? I think it's one of the things that make it fun. That make it uh, tremendous fun. That everybody has um, one of those. Indirect influences, indirect influences, and then something which is in the realm of homage, you know, and whether that is a story by Ray Bradbury or an episode of The Simpsons or a song by John Lennon or whatever it is, it's there. And I'm I'm sure that this – I mean, Baltimore alone – and I I give Baltimore full credit for this. I have never – I don't know any other example of a town – that has so embraced a literary figure as Baltimore has. You know, now Baltimore is very proud of the fact the association with Poe and there is this kind of friendly rivalry between the cities of who gets him and Baltimore kind of wins because Baltimore has been so aggressive in its embracing of Poe. He also died there. And, you know, it's, they like to say in Baltimore, we got the body, we win. But, uh, it's also true that the town has done a, a tremendous amount of. I, is there any other sports team anywhere that is named for a literary reference? Football, baseball. I don't think hockey. so. Yeah, can you find another reference? But you know, but but you know the, the team is the Ravens, you know? <laughs> and it's because they're in Baltimore, and it's because of Edgar Allan Poe. That I mean, we sort of accept that without even thinking. It's like there are no other teams named for a literary character. <laughs> there's, no, it, 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 there's no literary reference, but there isn't Baltimore. So I, I, I really give Baltimore full credit for so thoroughly embracing and uh, and 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 you know really really pardon the expression on the association with Poe.
1: Well, you, you know, you also have, uh, Nabokov's, uh, Lolita, as well as Kubrick's version, the divine Edgar.
2: Oh, there's so much. I mean, um, it, it, you could do, um, uh, and, uh, Forever anthology on works which are were either directly influenced by Poe or indirectly influenced them. You could do the same thing with movies. You could do the same thing with television. So many uh, with novels which have either used Poe as a as a story through or uh, as an as an actual character. It just that is all based on the idea, on the, on the acceptance that we, you're going to recognize the name and that you're going to recognize a certain part of his literary output. Um, and and by the way, you know, I I said before, I, I think, you know, when we were saying, like, where would Poe have gone? Well, you know, we don't know that, but we, we only know what we know. But I always tend to think that the more interesting speculation is what would Poe think of his reputation today? If, you, if, if Poe could, all, could, could you know, magically come back for one day and observe how he is perceived, I think he would be at the same time delighted and appalled. He certainly would be delighted that he is so well-known and so universally recognized. I think he would be horrified that his reputation had been reduced to just being a horror writer. Um, And he wouldn't have even known what that term meant, by the way, none of the writers we mentioned before, would have known what that term meant. If you had said to Stevenson or Shelley, or Poe, for that matter, oh, you're a horror writer, they would have looked at you like, the term didn't exist. And they said, you mean Gothic? Do Do you mean I write Gothic? And uh, they would have said, well, yeah, so suppose, you know, I like to tell a good spooky story every once in a while, but only if that's the best way to tell the story. You know, Stevenson would have said, well, you know, today I'm writing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but tomorrow I'm writing Treasure Island. And the next day I'm writing a child's garden of verses. And the next day I'm writing an essay or a travel book. Um, the term horror writer is really a 20th century American conceit, the branding of authors, the reducing them to a label. Well, well, you know, I'm a writer. What kind of writer are you? Do you have to be a kind of writer? The the marketing of writers dictated you did. So Stephen King is a horror writer. Uh, Raymond Chandler is a mystery writer. Uh, You know, these guys were all kinds of writers. They, They didn't know you had to choose. We chose for them, instead of you know, they choosing. We said we decided. Well, Edgar Allan Poe is a horror
1: writer. Hey, you know, uh, um, Mark, we're down to about the last minute, okay. and, and I, I just wanted to thank you. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, the audience had two marks tonight talking about two. No, actually, three marks. Include Mark Shaker, two Graves. Uh, It sounds like all these dualities you find in the House of Usher, but uh, thank you so much for this wonderful show. I'm sure the audience got a lot out of it, and you're always welcome to come back whenever you have your next project out or just talk about something else.
2: I appreciate it, and um, I'm I'm sure our paths will cross again soon.
1: I hope so. Okay, we'll see everyone uh, sometime soon. Take care, everyone. Good night.